Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's so good to have you all back here, and I wish you all a happy new year. Before we get started, I'd like to say a couple of things, as per usual. Uh, number one, haven't been the most reliable when it comes to setting up an actual schedule. It's more or less just been whenever I feel like it, so I'll bounce around quite a lot in terms of scheduling. Uh, sorry to anybody who had like an actual schedule set up for this whole thing, but yeah, that's about it. Um, what else? Really sorry about a lot of stuff. Sorry to keep you all waiting, but I've been busy, obviously. Uh, I guess the good news is I'll be getting my cast off soon, so trying to walk again will be a real adventure. I'll make sure to share it all with you uh, as best I can, of course. And with that said, let's jump right into chapter three of part two of the, the, the four. Yeah. Chapter 3, Saturday's Summoning. Lucifer slithered back through a window in his castle, and as he slammed to the floor, reverting back to his normal form, he pressed a stained and bloodied hand against the wall. One hand was leaking blood, and the other one was struggling to support his fragile figure. He clutched his scarred face and smashed through a great door, out into the hallway outside of his kitchen. The lights were blurry, candles flickering, and even after making his way through his mansion, vision growing blurry, he felt incredibly lightheaded, like he could fall at any moment. The last thing the King of Hell could remember before falling to his knees and watching his trench coat fall over his shoulders was Winfrey's voice and his well-manicured hands resting on his lord's arm. Lucifer, are you all right? And that was the last thing that Lucifer heard before he emerged from his nap. All across hell, throughout the unique sections of the world, the people witnessed a great flight in the sky, and they saw, heard, and definitely felt the great roar from Lucifer. The most notified of people were, of course, the lords and ladies of hell. If the constant shaking and rattling of glass panes wasn't enough to disturb them from their ever-important business, this certainly was now. The first was when a more suitable, heightened figure rushed through the emerald and ruby-red hallways of the Grand Casino, past slot machines, tables, and fancy lights and bars. Eleanor was a special servant to her lord, not only having special access to many of the casino's hidden segments, but as more of a plus one to many of her master's parties and special events. She knew other people who had much the same benefit, like Cynthia, Avery, Charlie, and Harrison, who served under other lords and ladies. It felt very strange, and usually made her embarrassed to be working such a high-risk, higher-reward job, and showing up many of her childhood and college friends. She had ruined most of her ties that way. But that was the price you paid when you worked for the most powerful beings in hell, and it was, unfortunately, one of the much smaller sacrifices that needed to be made. Eleanor brushed the thoughts from her focus, and entered a secret elevator, hidden behind the slot machine with three rose petals on the right wing in the last row. What's that? Is that important? No, not at all. Getting back to Eleanor's perspective, she hurriedly ascended the floors, gazing out through tiny flashes in the walls of the City of Greed and its mortifying, yet simply stunning, city skyline. Skylights flashed overhead in the dark green sky as people wandered the streets, buying, chatting, selling, and sipping wine in the cafes. After a short while of waiting, the elevator clicked to a stop, and Eleanor rushed from the gate out into the hallway, past menacing pictures that hung from the walls and masked figures armed with guns. These pictures, Eleanor had learned through previous years on the clock, were crude and insulting portrayals of her boss's co-workers, 
For example, Azazel was just a matchstick with a piece of black leather taped to his back, while Asmodeus was portrayed as little more than just a Twitter account. But wanting to waste no more time in her work, Eleanor burst into the main office, through the studded doors lined with jade and gold. The office, with a domed high ceiling, a beautiful crystal chandelier on top, and overlooking the whole city of greed, all the way to the borders, seated one figure behind their desk, superior in their own right. <clears throat> Uh, boss, we got into a situation. Eleanor nervously spoke, her voice quivering slightly. The chair behind the polished wood desk spun and revealed a serpent-like man, a top hat seated gently on his King Cobra-like head. His frills spread like his popped collar and an emerald cane in one hand with terrifying ruby eyes slitted in the head. I have been made aware, but thank you for taking time to come and meet with me, darling. At this, Eleanor couldn't control herself from blushing. Um, darling? Boss, we're on the clock here, and don't get me wrong, but you're well past my age. The ruler of riches stood from their seat and brushed aside from their desk, tipping the top hat on their head as their coattails swished behind. Beelzebub, his skin scaly yet smooth, eyes alluring yet horrifying, met Eleanor's face as he brushed a finger beneath her chin. And yet you show no sign of ceasing your elegant blush, my dear. Eleanor wiped her face with a neckerchief from her pocket, and then hastily recovered, following her boss down the hall, and back past the armed guards in cobra masks, which saluted as they walked. Beelzebub had established a brand, grand and prime empire in the heart of greed, and the many mafia and members with guns and other deadly weaponry certainly proved his point. The Lord of Greed entered the elevator, his shadow shrinking and twisting with the man, who now appeared as a striking young figure with a pale green shade of skin, but maintaining the blazing red aviators beneath his top hat. He appeared more human, like his assistant. <sighs> Beelzebub sighed, adjusting his collars. I'd better get a cab ready, I'm sure Lillian will be expecting us. Besides, you'll get to see that wonderful gal you're always scribbling about in your art book. Uh, what's her name again? Katie? Cinda? Or is it Cynthia? And you've been peeking in my notes, Eleanor hissed, slapping her boss on the arm, then immediately recoiling at such an insult. Beelzebub laughed as he turned and placed a hand on his associate's shoulder. Oh, please, my dear, of course I've been. There's nothing that happens in greed that I don't know about, and heavens above the look on your face. <laughs> ah, what a great start to my evening. Thank you, dear, he said, brushing a tear from beneath his eye and beneath, behind his glasses. As the elevator doors clicked open, Beelzebub stepped out, immediately warping back to his taller status and popping the collar on his striped suit. Ah. <sighs> My, how I do love the smell of a fresh casino floor. The sounds of the slot machines clicking, dice rolling, chips spreading. Ah, oh, it is a wonderful sensation. Beelzebub turned to a man who was walking around recently, and he tapped him lightly on the shoulder, stretching his arm out and then snapping it back in. Uh, Worthington, have my voice ready at five. I've got a date with the man in charge. The bodyguard, who strode through the casino and passed the eager and frivolous players and gamblers, shook his head and groaned. It's Evan, not Worthington, he grumbled. Beelzebub clicked his tongue and waved a finger about. Uh-uh, not when you're on the job, you're not. The hallways in Lucifer's mansion were calm and quiet. That was the only way to describe them. After the massive amounts of chaos and confusion that had occurred earlier, and Lucifer being put to bed with a, tea, with a cup of tea and some spells, everything had seemed originally very strange and warped. But now, the only life to be seen in the mansion was Winfrey, casually sweeping the floors and humming a sweet tune to himself, one his mother had taught. It was a tune that he had learned while on gluttony. You see, some imps are raised in wrath, and that's where most of them come from. 
It's how imps get their tough, fierce status in hell. However, there are some that are born and raised in gluttony. Less still in envy, but that's not really the point. Unfortunately for Winfrey, his sweet, caring song hit one note at a sharp pitch as the great doors outside the manor crashed harshly, banging on the door. Winfrey leapt into the air, clutching his broom like a spear. Ah! Ah, who is it now? He barked, rolling up his sleeves and storing to the entrance to the terrace. Ah, I swear, the Lord's in a nap. I'm forced to clean up another mess. What is wrong with you people? But as Winfrey drew closer and ascended his little stepladder up to the eye hole, he gulped and then immediately switched on a lever that twisted the door open. The stepladder was something Lillian had made in her free time, for whenever Winfrey was on duty. But through the keyhole, and now through the open door, was a truly terrifying band of monsters and demons. The doors opened for a great monster of a man who strode into the mansion and dropped his blue and silver cloak on the wall. His boots stamped down on the rug, leaving iron-pressed marks. Thank you, Winfrey, the voice growled from above as Morpheus, a terrifying twelve feet of steel and cephalopod, strode past into the room. Keeping the pace and sticking beside her boss was Dr. Cynthia, a talented engineer and biologist. Her red demon horns floated just above her gilled neck, obscured by the flowing white hair. Her glasses flashed in the lights from the window, and she couldn't help but smile at Winfrey as she half-jogged after Morpheus. She waved a gloved hand, the glove coated in machinery and some oil grease. Hey, Win. Sorry, I've got to keep pace with the big guy, you know? She said, before rounding the corner. Before Winfrey could answer, nor take a proper, proper greeter from the scare, a cloud of ash and blood swept after the cleanliness of the scientist, and Azazel entered, followed by Avery, his assistant. To put it simply, if the word edgelord was a person, it'd probably be this shadowed the hedgehog humanoid man. Tall, muscles shredding through his burned jacket, and like his boss, chains surrounding his impressive display of muscle and raw strength. A deadly blood-red guitar hung from his back, hung, sorry, and Avery, despite his appearance, spoke with a kind, almost Canadian accent. Hey, pal, good seeing you again, eh? Avery nodded. Any day for one of your solos, Avery, he responded, before a loud voice coughed and erupted from the flaming head of his easel. Move it, you scrub. We don't have all day. The king wanted us here so badly for fat-ass sake, he grumbled. Avery rolled his eyes and then hurried after the footsteps of char and dried blood. Next to make their grand appearance into the mansion was Asmodeus, who swept into the room, a striking foxy form. Her nose gently graced the air, and her amethyst eyes rested on Winfrey, who was, as always, maintaining a firm posture. Hello, Winfrey. It's always nice to see you imps roaming about. You make such wonderful, lustfully pleasant- Okay, sugar, that's enough out of you. Come on, then. Charlie, who was Asmodeus's servant, pushed the near-gushing figure out of sight, and simply shook hands with the butler before exiting into the dining hall. After the lustful queen came the golden knight striding into the room and kneeling to shake the imp's hand. A pleasure as always, my esteemed imp. Wish I could stay longer, but I'm afraid urgent business brings me here. Winfrey smiled and waved to Harrison and his wonderful boss. Any day you want a chess rematch, you bring that cloaked can over my way, Satan, he said, as the Lord of Envy herself laughed all the way there. Though Beelzebub was much the same in his entrance, Winfrey was allowed a short breather when the King of Cash was the last to step through into the dining hall. <sighs> Winfrey sighed, his shoulders drooping. It's a shame there is no gluttony representative. Though, as I say it out loud, Winfrey noted, looking at the ashen blood from his easel, the crystal shards from the Golden Knight's armor, the steam-pressed iron markings in the floor from Morpheus, and something dripping from Asmodeus's trail, he sighed and grabbed his broom and dustpan. <sighs> Perhaps that's not such a terrible thing after all. 
Morpheus entered the grand dining hall and looked all around, shifting his head up to the skylight above. He removed his hat, revealing an iron-clad face mask over his breathing apparatus and true, clammy skin underneath. <sighs> of course it's raining. You know, I'm disappointed that we couldn't meet on my turf. It's so very pleasant there, he said, sitting down in his throne, which unhooked wires and charging cables to plug into various ports in his arm. Lillian, who was waiting just by and setting down food and plates, couldn't help but wince at the pain and suffering that she would have endured had she chosen to sit in his seat earlier that afternoon. Azazel, who sat across from the colossal captain, kicked his boots up on the table and grunted. Speak for yourself. If we'd visited my place, there wouldn't be a prince of sloth. How about that? He laughed and kicked his boots up on the desk, scattering ash over the table. Asmodeus took her seat beside Morpheus and put a hand on his shoulder, her eyes flashing. Uh, don't let that oversized gas grill laugh. Though your water would dissolve faster than his patience, it's not your fault. Morpheus sighed and kicked back in his seat, the blinking, glowing lights flashing on his armor, fading into different shades of blue. Perhaps, Azzy. Perhaps. Beelzebub, who slithered ahead, deemed himself worthy to sit at the Golden Knight seat, and immediately found pleasure in shapeshifting to look like Satan herself. Hee-hee! <laughs> wow, this'll be a chuckle. But as soon as the Golden Knight entered the room, followed by Harrison, she kicked her golden lance up into the air from her hand, to the amusement of all, and then spun through the air, her cape flowing past the golden highlights, and her cape flowed as she struck the lance with her foot, sending it flying into her seat, in centimeters from Beelzebub's shoulder. A good knight knows when something's amiss, you crooked reptile. Beelzebub slunk around the seat, the lance moving with his body. As Hazel grunted, his eyes flailed with boredom and disdain. Ugh, here we go again. Beelzebub turned, the lance impaled through his head, his eyes rolled back, and he crashed to the floor into a roll. As he rolled, the shape of the shadow upon the floor shifted, reflecting a laughing monster, teeth gnashing and chomping at the lifeless puppet of the Golden Knight, and the rolling shifted into a slither as Beelzebub slipped all around the Lady of Envy and brushed his scaly fingertips across her armor. Ah, what's the problem with a good joke here and there, Zays? I can tell you and Mrs. Gold here seem to have that problem. Satan crossed her arms and then flipped up her visor, revealing shockingly seductive features. She huffed and threw her plated elbow right into Beelzebub's ribs, to which the prince staggered back to his seat and grunted, crossing his arms. Don't get bored on me, kiddo. Just because you got first pick doesn't make you the best here. Hell is about power and honor. Two things, I'm afraid, your silly powers can't earn you. Satan insulted as she slipped into her seat and removed the lance from its spot. Beelzebub snarled and slammed a hand down the table. Maybe, but don't forget what my talents can get me. Satan relaxed in her throne of gemstones and gold, and brushed aside a stray curl of silken white hair. Don't blame me for your wimpy troubles. Go talk with Azzy, she'll give you what you want. As the lords and ladies congregated at the table, their right hands chatting about life, the doors to the dining hall slammed open once again, almost blasted off their hinges, and everyone turned, cold, empty, quiet, wafting into the room with a tattered figure. Lucifer's eyes, slanted and hate-filled, with a few scars and scrapes on his face and suit, shifted around the room at his fellow rulers, before making his way to the head of the table, grimacing as he sat down. <sighs> Just when I thought the worst thing that could happen was a sneeze, you started to fight. Not that I wouldn't desire that any other day, but these are different circumstances. Harrison leaned to the smaller table, filled with the servants and important members of the hierarchy. Seems like Lucifer took a beating. What or who could have busted him up like that? Avery sat forward, brushing away from the desiring Charlie. I couldn't be more excited to lead this fox hunt. Been a hot second since my schedule's been more than torturing folks and rocking the stage, eh? 
Cynthia adjusted her glasses, which flashed with light, cloaking her scarlet eyes from sight. If this figure, whoever they might be, wound up fighting Lucifer, they're clearly injured. If they fell from such a height, we assume, and they don't have wings. And did you hear what Lucifer roared? Something about a newbie. Harrison, who was in Satan's platinum court, way more on that later, shifted uncomfortably in his shining coat of arms. I think it would be quite the challenge. Though, if this is a newbie, and they busted up his face and gashed his hand, this could be really interesting. Lucifer turned in his seat, looking at the table of right hands and foot soldiers. Curious, he muttered. As the rest of the hierarchy continued arguing and congregating, Morpheus, whose sensors and abilities were always hyperactive, did not easily dismiss this. He leaned forwards into Lucifer. What is it, Lord? he asked. Lucifer shifted his weary eyes over to his towering royalty. Morpheus, the man that I apprehended before he escaped, he was, say, about the same age as your little scientist, or at least the same height. As a matter of fact, all of your minions seem to be, lords and ladies, he said, a renewed spirit flowing through his broken nose. He shifted attention to, to all of the demons in hierarchy, as they all turned to him as well. This will be quick and easy for those of you willing enough to catch the crook. Everyone sat forward in their missions, eager to begin, and brushing aside their plates of food. Well, spit it out. I don't have all day, Azazel cow growled. Lucifer leaned forward, getting closer to the Prince of Wrath, and sliding around the table. The task, my dear Big Lighter, is simple. Whoever should catch and retrieve this wretched hunter will receive my utmost respect and superiority above the others at this table. All sultans of sin leaned in, curiosity and greed flourishing their, in their eyes. Tales of glory at their hands was too enticing to pass up. Something Beelzebub often loved to watch and feel. As everybody began overflowing with greed, it fueled his power. Azazel, however, burst up from his seat, the chains around his arms and jacket clanking. Well, to heaven with you all. Eh, sorry. Avery, let's go, he barked, storming from the room. The other lords and ladies quickly followed, bringing their own minions with them. As Lucifer collapsed, tired and worn, he sighed. <sighs> of course, I try to give them something of a head start, and all of them refuse my help. But a metal arm extended, taking his hand from the silence. Uh, what? Oh, it's just you, Lucifer said, looking up at the tyrant of technology, staring down at his seat. Why do you still remain? Morpheus motioned with his other hand for Cynthia, who rushed over to the table and grabbed a blueprint from her jacket, which she laid out on the table. Lucifer glossed over the paper, excitement filling his eyes. It won't give Sloth a start above the rest, but keep this in the back of your head for when you need it the most. Lucifer nodded and smiled, taking not just Morpheus's hand, but Cynthia's as well. Thank you, both of you. <sighs> of all the lords and ladies in hell, you two have gone so far from your lives to dedicate your service to me. I hold a dear, very dear place for you in my wretched soul. Now get going, lest Azazel beat you to it. Even though Morpheus and Cynthia hurried excitedly from the room, Satan lay just behind a tapestry out in the hallway. She had never actually left. Rather, she sent Harrison on his merry way down to the carriage. But she stood, confused by the moment, and watched as Morpheus and Cynthia left just a few minutes afterwards. Hmm, now that could be fun to exploit. I'll come back to that, she said, as the Golden Knight hurried after the rest of the sinful hierarchy.